Welcome to another edition of Mormonland. I'm managing editor Dave Noyce, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by senior religion reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hello again, Peggy. Hi, Dave. Well, if you can remember, back in mid-February, Brigham Young University set off shockwaves when it quietly removed from its honor code the section forbidding, quote, homosexual behavior. Many students believed and had been told by school officials that the shift meant the prohibition against such actions as same-sex handholding, kissing, even dating, was no longer in place. The LGBTQ community and its allies celebrated. Two weeks later, however, the church educational system, which oversees all BYU campuses, did an about-face, stating that, quote, same-sex romantic behavior, end quote, remained incompatible with the school's rules. The, reverse, the reversal resulted in anger, frustration, protests, and questions about what may happen to LGBTQ students when classes resume on campus. Here to discuss the issue is Michael Austin, a BYU alumnus and executive vice president for academic affairs at the University of Evansville, a Methodist school in Indiana. He joins us today via Zoom. Michael, welcome. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you here. And let's start for background. When did you attend BYU and what was the atmosphere like for gay students then? Um, I attended BYU from 1984 to 1985, and then I served an LDS mission to Central California, and I attended BYU again from 1987 through 1992, both a bachelor's and a master's degree. Uh, there was very, very little discussion of same-sex attraction or of homosexuality at BYU. There were rumors of people who met each other in certain bathrooms by tapping certain codes on the stalls. Hmm. Uh, but there was never any open discussion. And I, I, don't, remember, uh, I don't remember it being one of the, the sort of big issues that we, we dealt with, uh, like, say, the, uh, the problem with MTV in, when I got there in 1984, when a number of campus housing units had banned MTV because it, uh, it produced sexual immorality. Um, so, so yes, it, it was it was still very, very much a deeply closeted issue, and uh, and most of the people there were deeply closeted who, um, who were who, who were gay or who were bisexual, LGBTQ. Uh huh. Uh, so let's let's fast forward now to what happened earlier this year. What did you think when you first heard about the section on homosexual? behavior being removed from BYU's honor code, the, the first instance of that? Um, I, I was pleased when that happened. It, it seemed that that was uh, a way that the university could honor what it had said before, which is that all students are treated the same. We have a uh, prohibition against sexual activity before or outside of marriage. Uh, and that applies to gay or to straight students. And I think that they'd said on a number of occasions that their policies were consistent, and, and they really weren't, because uh, gay students were targeted for and, um, and disciplined for very small displays of affection and intimacy that were, that were subtly or actively encouraged uh, for heterosexual students. So it, it did seem that with the removal of that language from the honor code, 
gay and straight students were were on the same playing field. They had the same set of rules that applied to them, which had always been BYU and the church's position. Mm-hmm. So given the church's standards on uh, homosexual behavior, were you surprised by the reversal? I was a little bit surprised, but not terribly, because I have followed BYU fairly closely, just because I've been in higher education and higher education administration now for 20 years. And I'd seen some opening up. I'd seen signs of opening up. I knew faculty members who were deeply involved with the LGBTQ community. And and so it, it seemed like a logical extension of things that I already saw going on at BYU. So you were surprised a little bit by the reversal, maybe? Oh, by the reversal? Yeah. Yeah. When when they reversed the reversal, <laughs> yeah. I got, I, I've got to keep in mind what reversal we're talking yeah, about. It's true, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, when they took it away, I guess I want to say, and they said, "No, you can't have yes, behavior." I was a little bit surprised by that. Um, I was a little bit surprised by how far out in front of their skis I think some BYU faculty and administrators got, and then it was pulled back, and uh, you know immediately it. it it, it seems to me, and it, or it seemed to me then, and it still seems to me now, that, um, that there are simply different factions at work moving in different directions behind the scenes. And that should surprise nobody who is involved in higher education because there are always different factions at work behind the scenes. There are at Methodist schools. I was the provost for eight years at a Catholic university, and there was always uh, behind the scenes agendas and factions. And what came out was always a compromise. So I've been in enough of the back rooms where these things are talked about to know that when, when you get uh, two statements like that, you, you're not dealing with a consistent policy that has been misinterpreted. You're dealing with two different factions, both of whom are trying, uh, trying to maneuver the situation uh, to what, whichever agenda they happen to have. And I think that's very clearly what happened here. So did this th- turn, yeah, go ahead, Peggy. Did you think the school would be able to sort of get away with letting LGBTQ students show affection without running afoul of the church's position? I thought it was possible. <laughs> uh, and, and the reason it's possible, uh, if, if you, I mean, anyone who looks around the, uh, the, LDS world or the Mormon community right now knows that this issue is probably the thing that is causing the most young people to leave the church and to to go in different directions. That if there were a little bit more room on this issue, the church would be able to to uh, retain and attract a lot more people from the rising generation. So I think there are certainly, I think there are people at BYU who are genuinely committed to LGBTQ rights and to, uh, to fostering and ministering to, to these students and to all students. I think there are some people, some faction that is dead set against it and believes it to be an abomination and a violation of the gospel standards. And then I imagine there is probably a strong, pragmatic, central faction that says, if we 
give a little bit more on this issue, it's going to have a huge effect across the church. And it was. For two weeks, people were, were saying, I might, I might consider coming back. I might go to church again. It looks like things are getting better. And I'm sure that there are all the way up into the Quorum of the Twelve, there are some people who see the effect that this issue is having on the, the youngest generation right now and would love to be able to give enough room um, that, 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 that the church generally stopped repelling that generation. Did you, Michael, you know, because that very day, I mean, we had photos of same-sex couples kissing in front of the Brigham Young mm -hmm. Monument uh, down at a uh, statue at BYU. It, it, it's hard, it's kind of to Peggy's question, it's hard to, it's hard to envision that some top LDS leaders didn't like seeing that. It's absolutely certain that some didn't like seeing it. <laughs> it's, it's, also, yeah. it's also certain that, that a couple of them were probably pretty happy to see it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing, you're, when, you're, when you're dealing with singular decisions that have to be made by committees with very, very different agendas, people are going in different directions for different reasons. So I, yes, I think that at, at some point, somebody who mattered more than anybody else made the final decision, this is not going to happen. And then everybody had to scramble in order to implement the new decision, which was actually the old decision. I don't think it was a false flag. I don't think this was a, a conspiracy whereby the university was trying to lure people out into the open so they could then punish them. Uh, I just, I, I don't know any college that can, can pull off a conspiracy like that. It's just too much, it's just too much background work. Uh, so I, I think that most people at BYU really thought uh, probably very high up into the administration, really thought that this change had happened and that they were that it was going to be something that uh, that quite frankly improved an image image that has been very tarnished in the world of higher education. Yeah. So now BYU is left with this, you know, um, conflict, and it, it seems to have shined a bigger light on the issue there, right? I mean, I mean how. What would have been a better way to approach this? Just leave it as it was or what? I, th I think uh, that, yeah, what happened when they came out with the first reversal, when they permitted these displays of affection, they got a surprising amount of good publicity. I was reading about this in, you know, in the mm. Chronicle of Higher Education. I was reading about this in, uh, in newspapers. I was reading about this all over the place. So it, it got a lot of very good press for BYU. People were saying, hey, look, this is, this is happening. BYU is opening up. So, so then they made the reversal when the national spotlight was fully upon their initial decision and then everybody saw the reversal. Uh, I, I can't imagine it being timed worse uh, from a uh, publicity perspective, because uh, they were they were getting so much praise, really, from from the national world and from the higher education community, uh, that when they made the reversal, they they couldn't just it couldn't just be uh, some lines in a handbook somewhere that they just moved on from. The reversal was clear and obvious. So yeah, I I do think that that to the extent that um, 
publicity and press and acceptance in the, the national and international higher education communities, to the extent that those are values uh, for BYU, they have ended up in a worse place than they started. But could they have avoided it? What, what would you have done? Well, if they hadn't made the, uh, the change of policy in the first place, then it would have just been as it always was. There would have been no, um, no big, uh, big reversal press announcement. Um, if they had just let people hold hands, you know, just, just not, uh, not kick people out of school for holding hands, uh, then they would have gone on with, with the good press. Uh, the only other thing they could have done is waited a year. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> true. So what do other, you've, you've worked at two conservative schools, religious schools. Um, what do conservative religious schools that are also opposed to same-sex marriage, what do they do to enforce that value? Do they forbid hand-holding? Do they... Or do they, uh, is it just a general principle against same-sex marriage, but they let kids do whatever? That really depends on the school. There are evangelical schools in, in the country, Bob Jones University, Liberty University, that are more draconian than BYU on this issue, who, whose policies are harsher, uh, who who are more public in the ways that they discipline students. So th there, are, there are a few places that, that have these procedures and, and uh, are even less forgiving about them. Uh, that is not the case in, in Catholic or mainline Protestant schools. Uh, the United Methodist Church, that I'm, the school that I'm currently employed by is affiliated with the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is breaking up over this issue over the issue of, of ordination of, uh, of LGBTQ pastors and sanctioning of marriages. So there are now going to be two United Methodist churches and uh, you know, they're getting a divorce and, and we're not sure where we're gonna land. We're not sure which parent we're gonna end up with um, because they're gonna divide up a lot of assets. Now that said, the United Methodist support of the University of Evansville is to the tune of around $500 a year for a scholarship. So, <laughs> so the amount of influence they exercise is very minimal. Uh, so we, we do not have uh, any rules, any prohibitions about students' behavior. Now, when I worked at Newman University in Wichita, which was a Catholic institution, uh, the Catholic Church ha does have basically the same stand on, on um, LGBTQ issues that the LDS Church has, so they are they are taught against and and the the priests who were at the church would preach against this and and in classes they would teach that this was a sin under Catholic doctrine, but there was no enforcement of students' behavior, and and that's because the school didn't see itself as creating. Um, creating good Catholics. That just was never part of the mission of the school. Uh, the sisters who ran the university told me on a number of occasions, we, we don't educate students because they're Catholic, we educate students because we're Catholic. Because education is our ministry, we believe that God has called us to provide an education for students. So they, they would teach the doctrine and the doctrine did not change and they would teach 
in in the theology classes or in any events that the the priests or the sisters ran, they would teach the church's doctrines. But there was no there was no body of enforcement. We didn't enforce those standards on the students uh, because that that simply wasn't part of our mission. There there were no things, Michael, like they have at BYU, like ecclesiastical endorsements of some kind, where you had no. a priest to sign. Okay. No, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we education was a mission of of the sisters, the adorers of the blood of Christ, who founded the school. Their mission was to educate people. In at that time, when they founded the school during the Great Depression, in fairly rural Kansas, and they wanted to create teachers so that there would be teachers of the elementary and secondary schools. And they did that because they thought that was a socially beneficial thing that God had called them to do. Hmm. So no, there were no ecclesiastical endorsements. There were there were no um, no statements of faith that you had to sign. They taught Catholic principles and they taught them unapologetically in their classes, but there was no behavioral enforcement branch of the university that enforced those Catholic teachings. Let, let's go back to BYU a little bit and the honor code. It, it, this, the school continues to run into deeper resistance for its LGBTQ policies, whether from other schools, mm-hmm. academic institutions, and you have science, science associations that don't want to advertise job postings at BYU. Mm-hmm. Athletic associations uh, sometimes may be getting in the way of BYU perhaps joining a conference, things like that. Many believe those were among the reasons that that they removed that section from the honor code in the first place. Now, of course, uh, like you say, it's it's been exposed even bigger. Do do you expect more ramifications to follow for the school now? Yes, that's going to get worse. Um, The national conversation on same-sex marriage and on LGBTQ rights is essentially over as far as higher education is concerned. And um, the, the, the principles of equality now are, are as important as the conditions of gender or racial equality. And, uh, and BYU is out of step with the, the national consensus in higher education and in most other fields on these issues. And as long as they they maintain the policies that they have, I think that they're going to find that the more and more athletic conferences and scientific societies and honor societies uh, are not willing to to sanction what, what they see as prejudiced behavior. So why do you think BYU emphasizes things like hair length and sexual abstinence and drinking and all that? I think BYU sees itself as a a, a fundamental part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, And it sees its mission as uh, beyond almost anything else, producing faithful Latter-day Saints uh, who will then go out into the world and uh, build the kingdom of God. And that's, that is a mission, and that is a mission that they are welcome to, they are entitled to. And I think that they also, they pay, they subsidize enough tuition, uh, much more than any, any university that I know of, 
uh, Catholic, Methodist, Protestant, Evangelical. The church subsidizes more of the school by orders of magnitude than any other religious organization does. So in that sense, their mission, the, the mission of BYU as defined by the church is to create uh, a place where, where Latter-day Saints can come, learn all sorts of disciplines in a context that is, is saturated with the gospel and who, when they leave, will be more active and more devoted to the church than they were when they came. And, uh, and that mission, is, as I say, is a completely legitimate and valid mission. It is not the mission of most higher education institutions. And in this issue, just like uh, during the civil rights movement, uh, the same sorts of things happened. The, the mission of BYU conflicted with the mission of the world, uh, and especially the world of higher education. And that... Uh, Brigham Young University has every right to advance its mission with its own money, um, but there are consequences to doing that. If you're going to say the world has fallen, the world is broken, uh, the world is, is what we're here to protect you from, then you don't get to join the world's athletic conferences. You, know, you, don't, get to, you don't get to advertise in the Babylonian journals. Uh, if, if you are a safe space to protect students from the world, then you cannot expect the honors and accolades of the world to follow your efforts. It's interesting though, because you, you talk about, you know, raising up good Latter-day Saints, I guess you could see, uh, devout ones. The rules they'll go beyond what the church teaches. The church certainly does not uh, dictate about beards or mustaches or, I mean, for the rank and file. Um, some people have, have said, we have a columnist here who talks about BYU sometimes is Mormonism on steroids is, is what's the value in going beyond what the church teaches actually? You know, during, during the, um, Babylonian captivity, when the Jews were riding the Babylonian <laughs> Talmud. That's, that's a, they, way, a long time ago. That's going way back. It's a long okay. time ago. But, you know, that's what, they, uh, they said that they were going to create a hedge around the law. You ever heard that term? The hedge no. around the law. In other words, they were going to take the law of Moses, which was sacrosanct, and they were going to build things around it so that you never got close to violating the actual law of Moses. So the hedge around the law are all of the practices that are not specifically in the law, but they're there to make sure you never break the actual law. And I think that BYU has put a hedge around the law. You know, there are all sorts of things that, that they say that aren't, you know, beards. It's, in my current bishopric, all of the members of the bishopric have beards or mustaches or goatees. It's, it's not even a thing in the rest of the world. Um, but it's kind of this hedge around the law, and it's also a loyalty oath. It's a, it's a don't grow a beard because we have said not to grow a beard, and actually obedience is the most important thing. And that's usually how it's phrased. It's not beards are wrong, it's so-and-so has said you can't grow a beard at BYU, and you need to be obedient. So, so it becomes a, a proof of loyalty. And um, I, I think that that, that, that functions uh, as a way to, to ensure that if somebody is not being loyal, somebody is, is not 
uh, being obedient, you've got a very clear way to tell right away that they're, they're the sort of person who won't do things just because you said they would do things. So uh, along that line, Michael, I mean, how do you think BYU and the church define virtue? Sounds like, I mean, what's right or wrong about that? I think that largely in Latter-day Saint discourse, virtue means don't have sex. <laughs> and uh, morality yeah. means don't have sex. And honor means don't have sex. <laughs> and modesty means don't do things that make other people think about having sex. And, and that's actually, I, I find that actually very problematic because in, 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 out here in Babylon, out here in the world, virtue and modesty and honor and morality all have very specific meanings which don't even have that much to do with don't have sex. You know, there, there are huge philosophical ethical discourses around these terms uh, that, that take into account every aspect of human behavior. Uh, and I think when I was growing up in the church and when I was at BYU, I, I, I'm not sure I ever heard the word virtue applied in a way that was not inherently don't have sex. And, um, and I think that, that that is not to say that, uh, that virtue has no sexual component, but it, it, it puts a fairly huge amount of theological and philosophical weight on one aspect of human behavior. Uh, I think sometimes at the expense of a whole lot of other aspects of human behavior. And, and so how, how do you think, um, what, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing LDS students, college students today, whether at BYU or anywhere at your school or other schools? You know, at, at my school and at the schools that I've been, I've been at three uh, non-BYU universities and they've all had a handful of LDS students. Um, largely, the LDS students are, are, are sort of covered in the general consensus of whatever you do, you do you, let me do me. And so students who are Mormon, students who are LDS, they often have an LDS um, society, uh, LDSSA. They, um, you know, nobody gives them a hard time because, uh, because this generation more than any I've ever seen, the generation that's in college now, is very, very laissez-faire. You know, you do what you want to do. You do what makes you happy and makes you fulfilled. Let me do what makes me happy and we'll just love each other. So I, I think that uh, sometimes there's a sense uh, with the LDS students that they have to evangelize. And that never works out very well. And sometimes there's a sense that they've got to prove that they're not weird. But that's becoming less and less important. When I first started teaching uh, at a public university in West Virginia in 1997, the LDS students really wanted to make sure everybody understood that they're not weird. Uh, now, everybody's weird and it's okay. <laughs> as, long as, you, as long as you don't tell other people what to do, you can be as weird as you want. But do you think that LDS students around the world feel um, oh, misunderstood or that they, they're tempted to, you know, do things the church disapproves of or? Um, 
I sometimes I think that is the case. I think sometimes people go to BYU because it's really hard to live your religion when everybody else isn't living it too in college. You know, there's there's a lot of pressure to drink. There's a lot of pressure to have sex in college. Uh, and I think LDS students who, who want to live the LDS standards are, are going to have to and do have to find ways uh, to, to politely pass on, on those things. And, and there are social consequences to that. But at most colleges, there are enough social groups that, that the, the Mormon kids find their way into groups that accept them. Uh, and they, after you know, the first semester or two, they, they have pretty much been able to arrange their social life in, in a way that allows them to conform to their standards. I do think we hear a lot, or, or at least I have heard a lot growing up in the church, we hear a lot about that bad world that we have to stay away from. And uh, you know, I remember in 1992, I went uh, from BYU, where I had gotten a bachelor's and a master's degree, to the University of California at Santa Barbara. And uh, there is, if you want to talk about contrasts, I went to from the, the, the number last place party school to one that routinely places in the top five. And proud and of actually, it probably, right? I'm so. very proud of it. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually shocked that nobody was jumping out of the bushes naked asking me to drink beer because it never happened. I was there for five years and, um, and I pretty much did my thing and kept my religion to myself and went to institute and you know nobody was coming off of the beach with drugs nobody was um nobody was trying to seduce me darn it uh <laughs> i just sort of did my thing and everybody seemed fine with it but it took me a while to realize that was the way it was going to be because i'd spent so much time listening to us versus the world kind of discourse do you think, um, following up, do you think that one of the biggest challenges of this generation, as we alluded to earlier, is what to do about LGBTQ people they meet and the issue that they're facing in all these colleges, including BYU? I think for most young people that I know of, it's not that much of a challenge at all. Oh, they really? Just, they just accept their friends. And if the church says no then they reject the church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th I mean, that's what I am finding over and over again. When the church says you have to choose between me and my friends, they say, cool, I'll choose my friends. And then they're out of the church. I think that in my generation and in, in probably the generation after mine, it was a big moral conflict. And now I don't think it is at all. I, I think the answer is is very easy. Um, that when when people have a lot of friends in the LGBT community, and the church says you have to choose, they choose, and it it almost never works out well for the church. Hmm. So, Michael, I'm going to change your job now a little bit, and I'm going to put you in at BYU in charge. What do you do to repair the damage? What can be done? That's a really hard question because at BYU, you're never sure what you're allowed to do. I mean, even the president of BYU 
isn't quite sure what he's allowed to do uh, and can have, can have decisions overridden. So, so I would be very, very, very um, confused and, um, and, and probably distressed in that situation because I would not know if anything I did was, was going to lead to my getting overridden, countermanded, or even fired. Uh, what do you do to repair the damage? Well, um, I think that, that the, right now, all that somebody at BYU can do is say, this, this is the situation. And if you don't think you can live here, then I'll help you uh, find another school to go to. Uh, that will that will also help you pursue your your uh, your career objectives. You know, if if I were counseling an LGBT student at BYU, I could not, in good conscience, say you should stay here because things are going to get better. Because I I would not be in any position, even if I were very high up in the administration, to to back that up. So, what about LGBTQ allies? You know, that's certainly there. The, we we had stories of people thinking, well, I'm not LGBTQ, but many of my friends are, mm -hmm. and I love them, and I can't stay at a school that views them this way, um, that that treats a kind of us them kind of a thing. Um, they're, they're talking about going to different schools, so there there obviously is, you know, some damage repair, damage control that needs to be done. I, I think that right now, nobody in good faith can say, stay here, things are getting better, let's work on this. Uh, you know, BYU has a record number of applicants. They're, they're like rejecting people whose grade point averages are below a 3.8. Uh, they they're not going to ever be in a position where they don't have enough students. I think what's happening, and it makes me very sad, but this is the, the inevitable result of these kinds of decisions, is that students who, who are LGBT or who have friends who are, or who are allies, or who feel strongly about this issue are, are simply not going to go to BYU. And I think that at least one of the factions that we talked about at BYU is, is gonna be absolutely fine with that. Uh, there will still be uh, a, a limitless supply of straight A students with almost perfect ACT scores who do want to go to BYU. And, and I think that, uh, that the selection process now, uh, those students are gonna sort out of BYU. I also, I hope, I dearly, dearly hope that they don't also sort out of the church, but I think it's very likely that they will. Well, I'm going to venture down the speculative path a little bit longer here. Just, just, just to, um, uh, supposing the ramifications against the school from the different associations just become so steep that the university really can't function as a university. Uh, you know what I mean? Collegial and research and all the different things that you need uh, to, to be a university of any prestige. Do you think that's eventually going to force them to just have to change the policy again? Well, first of all, I don't think BYU, anybody at BYU made this policy reversal. I think that came from outside of BYU, from the church education system. I don't know how high up the ladder that went, mm -hmm. uh, but, but the, the, this, 
I think that the original reversal uh, of the old policy probably came from within BYU. I think that the reversal of the reversal came from outside. Therefore, there's nothing anyone at BYU can do to change it because they're not in control. The change will have to come from the outside, from, from wherever it came. Now, as I said, there are factions and there are, there are factions in my experience all the way up the line. And uh, things like that, along with natural attrition, people leave positions, uh, changes which faction has control, which faction can actually translate their ideology into policy. So if, it, if things become very difficult at BYU, uh, and I think they very well might in, in athletics, in research, in scholarship, in, in the community of universities, that will, have, that will put pressure. But you've got these, these different factions who are gonna be moving as things happen. And I don't know how it's gonna play out. I, I think that at some point, BYU is gonna relax their position um, even more than they were looking like they were going to. Hmm. But it's gonna take some more changes. It's gonna, and, and the changes aren't at BYU. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, you, you can't, BYU can't undo what BYU didn't do. Somebody else has to do that. Well, let's, uh, let's hope schools can all get back in at some point so we can kind of see how things play out. Michael Austin, thanks so much for joining yeah. us today. Nobody's holding anybody's hands now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> all right. Stay safe, stay healthy, okay? All right. Thank you and, very much. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up, and we'll talk again next time on Mormon Land. Mormonland.